You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Keep your mental health muscles strong with the Emotional Badass Podcast. I'm Nikki Eisenhower, your host, psychotherapist, and life coach. The Emotional Badass Podcast is your place to learn the mental health tips and tricks you need to build emotional resilience and practice mindfulness and gratitude. Join me every week for new episodes to reach a more grounded state of well-being as life brings its challenges. Search for Emotional Badass wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. With me, your friendly host, Katie Charlewood, history harlot and reader of books. Well, I've had a fun couple of days, and actually a fun couple of days, not like, oh, it's been fun, when actually it's been fucking terrible. So I spent the weekend with my kids, um, and we just kind of chilled out and watched movies, and... We are currently making our way through Lego Jurassic World because um, my wee girl ended up deleting the entire, like the entire, like 87% progress that they had. So now we're, we're starting from the beginning and we're going to try and, uh, we're going to try and do this. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. It's going to be fine. Anyway, um, and I, I was on TikTok, like, because I'm, I'm on TikTok, Instagram and Twitter. Um, and I started putting a bit more effort into Instagram and Twitter the last like 24 hours, really. And it's it's already paying off. So, yay. That's what I get for not being fucking lazy for like a day in my life. But yeah, uh, on TikTok, I, I realized that I had connected with quite a few. Um, I was mutuals with quite a few like museums and, and libraries. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to ask for recommendations to see if anybody could like link me up you know because currently whenever I do go somewhere like when I do leave the county I I generally sort of revolve around um like visiting museums and historical sites and so I started getting all these like recommendations and now I'm friends with um like the Dublin City Library and and the Okishawa I've pronounced that wrong (laughs) like museum in Canada and it's just been uh it's been fun it's nice because I think it'll be nice to build this little historical community I mean I was already friends with the Devil's Porridge Museum just because they were called the Devil's Porridge Museum I'm like we're friends now yep but um you know it's it's Because, like, what I've discovered is I have trouble, like, connecting and finding um, a lot of stuff because I haven't been so active. And 
because I don't really have a lot of free time either at the moment. I like I I can't get into like new podcasts and stuff like that. So I ended up finding like like a lot of these like women's history podcasts like through Twitter just by happenstance. Sheer luck, really, that someone who I was following mentioned something and it linked to another thing, which linked to another thing, which linked to this like podcast. And now we're best friends. Um, I'm going to have a wee listen later on, probably, because I, I have painting to do. Yeah, if you're wondering why it's a little bit echoey, I am currently in the process of painting children's bedroom furniture. And I have taken a moment to record the effectively prologue of the podcast. Um, so there's two things happening right now, really, because it's February. Well, three things. One, it is the month of love because Valentine's is coming up. Uh, two, it is in America, um, it is Black History Month. And then in UK and Ireland, it is LGBT History Month. So I was like, oh, I'm gonna, I want to like, encompass as much of this as possible uh so i i, I can't promise the valentine's one's going to be romantic uh, i want to cover some like black american history but i also want to cover some like lgbt history so yeah fuck it uh we're gonna we're gonna cover a bunch of shit this month and and don't forget of course we're gonna cover some historical true crime i'm not gonna let you down like that we're gonna talk about bisexual women also not to be weird but why why in America is Black History Month in February? Because it's like the shortest month of the year. Just just a thought. Just a thought. I'm just saying. Anyway, so we're gonna cover a few things. Gonna cover a few things this month. Just gonna just gonna get to it. Um I had so much fun getting Lucrezia Borgia done. Bitty swords are coming back this week as well, so yay! I'm doing stuff. Just because like some pieces of history I couldn't find a lot of information on, and I was like, fuck it, I'm telling the story anyway. It's great. It's happening. I'm doing it. You're not stopping me, bitches. <laughs> but I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, quit your jibber jabber and fact me. In fact, you I will. But first, we've got to get our source on. So we have gangsters, swindlers, killers and thieves. The lives and crimes of 50 American villains by Lawrence Block. Notorious New Jersey, 100 True Tales of Murders and Mobsters, Scandals and Scoundrels by John Blackwell. The Complete Idiot's Guide to the Mafia, a fascinating exploration of the real people who inspired The Sopranos by Jerry Capecci. Also, I was on newspapers.com a lot for this, so that that subscription is definitely paying for itself at this point. So we have... 1953, Anna Genovese testifies against husband Vito. Testimony in divorce case reveals secrets on Costello's crime syndicate. The Evening Times, Pennsylvania, 1953. We've got infamous New York, the New York Post. We have newspapers.com. There was a lot of them. There was a lot of scouring, guys. A lot, a lot of deep scouring. And finally, of course, I have to, I have to give big kudos out to the podcast mob queens which sent me on this path and honestly i'll be giving you basically the cliff notes version of anna genovese's um history uh if you really want that full comprehensive uh, if you want to learn more about her absolutely go listen to mob queens it is funny and endearing and 
full of fantastical fun facts. And yeah, lots of things about this bisexual icon. A bicon, if you will. Okay, so uh, let's get into it, shall we? Are you sitting comfortably? Good. Then we'll begin. So I'm going to apologise now for any poorly um, pronounced names. Because even though we're all Europeans, I'm mainly of Scottish and Irish descent. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm more of a milk bottle. You know, from pale blue to milk, that's kind of me. And Italians are what I like to refer to as spicy white. So there's some herbs in there. Uh, so there's, yeah, anywho, that's how that is. I'm going to try, but if I fuck it up, I'm sorry. So, Anna was born Giovannina Patillo on the 28th of October 1905. Her parents are both Italian Catholic immigrants, because of course they are. I mean, what did the Irish and the Italians do? We just fucked off everywhere. And we were like, hey, we're here now. You can't stop us. We just slowly invade and then we spread. Uh, <laughs> so, we don't really know too much about Anna's life, sort of pre-first marriage. Just because she um, and she lived through World War One and didn't really do anything too spectacular uh, during that time, and then it goes into the Roaring Twenties, so there's not too much happening. But in 1924, Anna marries her first husband. <clears throat> Anna marries her first husband, Gerard Venotico. So um, their marriage is not exactly approved of by the family because they obviously. She's the oldest daughter, and the fact is they expect her to marry well. And Jerry here, he's a baker in Little Italy, but they expected her to marry up. Because, you know, she's smart, she's beautiful, she's just fucking cool. They, they, they expected big things, but they were like, okay, cool. Anywho, by like three years later, they have a daughter, Marie, and they move to Greenwich Village. So they're in this tenement building in Greenwich Village. He's a baker. He's out early proving the dough. And Anna, she's working evenings in sort of clubs and bars and stuff in Greenwich Village, making some dough. So Vito Genovese, he had some rackets going on in sort of that area at the time. But we don't really know if they crossed paths too much. But they were fourth cousins. Vito was married to Donatella and it wasn't a happy marriage to say the least. And Vito was known to get violent with her um, at least once in front of company. We know that he like gave her a smack after she spilled some wine. So Vito and Donatella, they were living at a Queen's at the time. And Donatella, she catches consumption. So she's got tuberculosis. And in 1931, she, well, she dies, right? But her death is pretty um, suspicious. She's basically left alone in this apartment. Her, like, death certificate's kind of dodgy. And effectively, the theory is that somebody, like, gave her some morphine or something and just, like, bumped her off. Because maybe Vito was sick of waiting for her to die. But uh, a few months later, Jerry was, for some reason, on the roof of the tenement building. And he is strangled to death. While his daughter Marie plays on the stairwell nearby. And surprise, surprise, 
Vera was the one who ordered the hit on Jerry. Two weeks later, Anna marries Vera. Weirdly enough, though... So apparently Anna didn't want to get married, but didn't really have any choice in the matter. Could probably have something to do with the fact that she was six months pregnant. The idea is that Vero... So Vero basically organised his wife's end and Jerry's end so that he could marry Anna. So like two years later, Vero allegedly orders a hit on fellow mobster Ferdinand the Shadow Boccia. And this, you know, causes a wee bit of a star. And by 1935, Vito decides to buy Deep Cut, which is an actual name for a mansion. Somebody named a building Deep Cut. I'm not saying it's weird. I am. I am saying it's weird. That's a stupid name for a building. Hmm, where do you live? Deep Cut. Ooh, I'm... Is it supposed to be intimidating? I don't fucking know. Vito buys his fucking mansion with a stupid name unless... Did he name it after he bought it? Anyway, stupid name mansion out in Middleton Township, New Jersey. So he moves his family out of New York. Fun. Sure, I'm sure that she fucking loved that. So at this point, you know, it's World War II starting to kick off. And back in the States, there's, like, big crackdown on, like, organised crime. And in 1937, Boccia's body is... Boccia? Boccia? Um, that guy, his body is pulled from the Hudson River. And Vito is basically, you know, accused of murder. And, um, not just, but, you know, not just murder. He's accused of, like... Uh, just a big long list of organised crime shit and he says and he goes um no thank you and gets the heck out of Dodge effectively he fucks off back to Italy and leaves Anna in charge of all his shit and Anna being a completely sensible person actually decides no I don't want to stay in New Jersey and she moves into this fucking super luxury apartment at 29 Washington Square. So she's quite literally living directly above Eleanor Roosevelt. Yes. Like that's how, that's how swanky and posh this place was. And at this point as well, Anna's raising three kids. She's got her daughter, Marie, Vito's daughter, Nancy, and then their son, Phil. The the one she was pregnant with when they got married. So because Vito has, you know, fled the US, Anna is left to try and figure the fuck out how to make some damn money. Because not only are you in the middle of the Great Depression, but like in a crazy random happenstance, she's super lucky because like prohibition ends and pubs and clubs, bars, they can all like shoot up again. And... The mob, they already had, like, a thing. They had protection rackets and stuff, and they would bribe police and officers and whatever. Effectively, the mob was kind of running all these bars and pubs in New York. So, like, around about Lower Manhattan and Greenwich Village, uh, they... One of the things they really leaned into was gay bars because when Prohibition ended in 1933, 
like, you know, bars and clubs, they could sell alcohol again. Uh, but there was effectively like this, how to put this, like gay prohibition. So like clubs and bars would be, um, could like get these massive fines, could get raided uh, um, and they could even lose their liquor license if they served, you know, gay people. So if members of the gay community were, you know, being served in their bars and they were known. So sidebar, like some like cops and stuff would go undercover and do these like sting operations and they would act, you know, what they thought a gay person would act like. And they would try and, you know, lure a, another patron. And they would try and like lure like gay people you know, back to theirs for a nightcap and would end up, like, arresting them or just beating the shit out of them. Sometimes both. Anna's like, fuck this for a game of soldiers. And Anna uses this opportunity to, like, she, you know, slides in there and she starts running drag clubs and gay bars. And so it's, like, super, super risky for Anna to set up what is effectively, like, a haven, because gay bars, I don't put this, gay bars are not the place for y'all to have your fucking hen nights and shit, and for straight people to be absolute cunts, just saying. No. Gay bars were safe spaces for the LGBT community. Uh, it was the only place where they got to, like, they didn't have to look over their shoulder constantly. So Anna Genovese, she's quite literally using her mob power, using her mob queen influence to protect the LGBT community. Like, it's fucking awesome. Basically uses, like, her mob connections because she's, like, the first lady of, you know, the New York mafia. You know, she uses, like, her mob ties to, like, block the police and stop shit happening. And she, like, siphons off the profits for the mob and Vito and all that while he's stuck in Naples or whatever. So she opens up her first club, Club Caravan, in 1939. And, like, all the waiting staff would be, like, drag kings and they would have drag queen performers. And, you know, this was sort of, like, a stepping stone to the 181 Club. Now, the 181 Club was... (laughs) I love this. Was known as the homosexual Cobacabana. At the Coba, Coba Cabana. I love it. I love it so much. And that was where she met her girlfriend, Jackie. Jackie was also like a drag kin known as Duke. And they would go out driving in Duke's car. So Duke, you know, they had the short hair. They drove about in this beautiful white car. And, and like even like the performers who were at the club... They often like refer to Jackie as like Anna's boyfriend, but like um Jackie isn't the only like female relationship she had. She also dated one of her like cashiers, um at one of her clubs. You know it wasn't considering she kept spending quite a lot of her time in Greenwich Village. Can we really be surprised? So while Vito's in Italy, he's supporting fascism. He he is I fucking kid you not. If you did not already despise this man for being a wife beater and just a piece of shit, he invests in Mussolini's party. Like, 
he gives money to the fascist party of Mussolini, one of the Axis forces in World War II, Hitler's buddy. Like, what the actual fuck, Vito? You're a mobster. I don't expect you to be, you know, a fucking angel, but I don't expect you to be like, let's exterminate Jews, you fucking piece of shit. Anyway, basically, the end of the war, 1945, Vito is extradited back to the USA. He goes on trial for Bokia Boccia's, you know, fucking assassination. The charges are dropped because the two main witnesses, in a move that surprises absolutely no one, turn up dead. What? You don't say. So, Vito Genovese, he's like, I don't like y'all being in New York. We're moving back the fuck out to New Jersey. Because he decides he wants his wife to be like a good little wifey and get the fuck back to, you know, being a mobster's wife as opposed to actually having any autonomy in her life. That being said, their relationship is tempestuous at best. Like, we all know Vito has no problem laying his hands on a woman, but it's so much worse than you think. And he does what is probably one of the most horrific things you can do. And Vito, being of completely sane mind and shit, sets fire to her hair. Like, hair is very important for women. There's a whole speech in Fleabag about it, how it's not just hair. But, like... Like, she had such long, beautiful locks. They were gorgeous. And he, like, he did it to shame her, embarrass her, and to, like, just dominate her. Who the fuck sets fire to someone's hair? What the fuck is wrong with you? I'm mad. Clearly, I'm angry. I'm angry. Like, of course, and you've got some family members who are like, oh, no, they really loved each other. They just had passion. Um... There's a difference between, like, ripping someone's clothes off and setting fire to their hair. I feel like I shouldn't have to, um, you know, explain that to anybody, but there you go. So Anna, after all of the abuse she is continuously suffering, decides to say, fuck this for a game of soldiers. And she walks out on Vito in 1950. So she wants a divorce, you know, nice and simple. And they go to court and he's supposed to pay her like $200 per week in maintenance. It's kind of like alimony, but like alimony before you get divorced. This gets dismissed because Vito's like, I can't pay. I have no money because, you know, he's a prick. 1951, she drops the divorce suit because reasons. And around this time, her 181 club gets raided by undercover state liquor authority agents and loses its liquor license before disorderly conduct. What's disorderly conduct, I hear you ask? It had gay people there, LGBTQ plus patrons. That's what it had. And as such... Fuck it, yeah. That's what they did. They closed it down. It's almost as if Vito arranged it 
just to spite her, because he's a vindictive cunt. Anywho, Anna at this point is 46 years old and living with her mother in Little Italy without any money because there's no like maintenance coming in and uh, no business because the club that she was a hostess at and would probably have returned to is shut down by, you know, bigoted cops. I was about to be like, are there any other kind? Ah, uh, haha. Says me currently working on my ACAB, like, embroidery. Because I'm cool like that. Not to be outdone, in 1953, Anna does what no mob wife has done before. <laughs> I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes. A new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. Emotional Badass is the weekly mental health and wellness podcast dedicated to empowering you with the emotional education so many of us crave. I'm Nikki Eisenhower, a psychotherapist with expertise in talk therapy, personal growth, and therapeutic healing. Join me every week on the Emotional Badass podcast as we delve into the heart of emotional wellness, tackling topics from stress management and coping strategies to the nuances of being highly sensitive. We navigate life's challenges, uncover the subtleties of gaslighting and manipulation, and confront narcissism head on. All the while, we learn to forge healthy boundaries that enrich both our personal and romantic relationships. With brand new content every Sunday and over 300 past episodes in our archive, there's something for everyone. Search for Emotional Badass wherever you get your podcasts. She testifies against her husband in open court. So getting divorced in the past is was a lot more difficult than being divorced now, especially considering that even back then, a woman was expected to be, you know, subservient and be the, the, the property effectively of her husband. So she, you know, applies for, applies for divorce, sues for divorce, sues for divorce on the grounds of extreme cruelty, probably citing the fact that he set fire to her hair. So she asks for like $350 in alimony, which in today's money um, would be just over three and a half grand. It becomes more than just like a general divorce proceeding because there she is sitting in her fucking mink coat and her finery starts listing off all of these criminal activities that her husband, ex-husband is involved in. So there are... You know, you've got the gambling shit, you've got the tracks, the bookies, the protection, and of course, drug trafficking. Because like once Prohibition ended, you know, which was the mob was making so much money, like just getting booze in the country, that when Prohibition ended, they were looking for new sources of revenue. And one of the things they did was traffic drugs in. One of the things, cocaine. You know, the, like the kind that Vito gave to Mussolini's son. Oh my God, Vito was Mussolini's son's fucking dealer. 
She's talking about all the shit. She's giving names. She's giving places. She's giving dates. So, like, she's talking about, like, you know, the Italian lottery that she's running, like, the numbers games. And um, she's, well, they're, like, earning, like, 30 grand a week. And she was the one with the combination of the family safe in New Jersey. Like, if that's not, that's, that's glorious. So she's, like, naming all of these, like, other mob leaders, like, uh, including Frank Costello, and which is going to be important in a wee second. And she's talking about how, like, Vito was, like, physically abusive and that she, and the reason she didn't, like, come forward. Well, Mrs. Genovese, why didn't you come forward and tell us this before? Because I was fucking scared he was going to kill me, like, that time he set fire to my fucking hair. Like, of course, Vito being the fucking prick he is, he's countersuing. He's like, she's a bitch who's too emotional. She's always, like, hot-tempered and angry and... And she's a degenerate who has been intimate with women. Uh, and, like, you've got, like, 20 witnesses coming forward going, like, he's such a good husband. Like, like that time he beat his previous wife? Like, then? Huh? Okay. Also, in addition, furthermore, there's this gossip columnist called Dorothy Kilgallen, and who just so happens to be friends with Frankie Costello the rival mob boss who uh, Anna mentioned in her suit? Well, in her column, she writes, If I were Mrs. Vito Genovese, I would be awful careful crossing streets. Which is um, <clears throat> speculated to be some kind of public warning, like on behalf of Costello, to Anna. Now, was this a warning because he was name-dropped? And he was telling her to shut her mouth? Or was it a warning because he was Vito's rival and he was trying to protect her? Whom's to say? What we do know, but like when it comes time, so like everybody else testifies and does their shit in court, but when it's Anna's turn to testify, she's suddenly under the weather. She's too sick to, you know, come to court. Like, in fact, she's so ill that she cannot leave her home. And and Dorothy's like, it's a good bet that Mrs. Anna Genovese will continue to be too sick to talk to any grand jury investigating crime along the waterfront. All she wants is a divorce and a healthy settlement from Vito. So at this point, Anna moves on to Club 82 out in the East Village waiting for, waiting for the ruling and their divorce. And while she's there, the judge just throws out the divorce suit, so they're still married, but they're just as straight. So, like, Vito and Anna are still married, but they're now, like, just estranged. So she's there at Club 82, and she cultivates this fucking, like, gay scene. It's, uh, the, the Club 82, it's, um, in Manhattan... Club 82, it's in Manhattan, it's run by, it's run by the Mafia, it's another mob place, and it's, the tagline of the club is, who's no lady, and so like it's got like drag kings and drag queens, and it becomes like the hot spot, like you've got like politicians and, um, and celebrities, they're all like hanging out in this glamorous fun, vibrant spot. Like, drag, like the place wasn't just drag. It had, like, cabaret and stuff. 
And like even Barbara Streisand played there. Like that's like that's how cool this place was. So like Anna actually ends up testifying against it, being like, oh no, um I didn't own this club which was full of disorderly whatnots. Um it was gang owned, so it's nothing to do with me. I was much a but a hostess, blah 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 blah. Um when she was at the 181 Club, she was working alongside Stephen Franz, and he was supposed to be keeping an eye on Anna while Vudo was away, like providing cocaine for the fascist party in Italy during World War II. And Franz, in a crazy random happenstance, manages to be strangled in the Bronx. Allegedly, the hit was like put out by Vito, which wouldn't be surprising because it's very much his M.O., because, you know, that's how Jerry was offed, that's how Franz was offed, you know? While Anna is continuing to work at Club 82 and suspiciously surviving, um, testifying, and somehow surviving literally ratting out a mob king, which is quite interesting because, um... But the theory is, there, it's very strange though because like, there should be like a ton of documentation on Anna like, as as a mob queen, as the wife of, like, the head of the mafia, like, as, like, this mafia being, like, the wife of, you know, the mafia chief, like, she should have, like, a fuck ton of information on her. But a lot of the information is either missing or redacted. So, like, it is highly probable that Anna ended up turning informant for, like, FBI, and that's why she managed to be so protected. So like, by 1957, Vito ends up absorbing and taking over the Luciano crime family from Castello. And obviously, being Vito, he renames it the Genovese crime family. Surprisingly enough, in a cruel twist of fate for poor Vito here, he ends up going to prison for possessing and distributing narcotics. After just a year in charge. Oh, dearie me. Whoops a daisy. Okay, so one of my favourite stories about Anna is like at um, her daughter's wedding, she shows up, like, obviously her and Vito are estranged, and she shows up in a fucking Lurex gown. I don't know if you've ever seen Lurex in general, but it is, it is, it is not... It is not something a wallflower wears. It's very much a fuck you dress. Um, look at me. I'm so hot. Get to fuck. I'm here. I'm queer. I'm sexy as fuck. And you didn't kill me, you motherfucker. Um, which is very much a good for her. And I bet her hair looked fucking fabulous too. She's like, you tried to burn off my hair? Look at how gorgeous my luscious locks and my magnificent mane is now, motherfucker. Anywho, so up until like the late 60s, she's still working in Club 82 and she leaves to kind of take care of family. Um, she doesn't quit working, but she gets more of a daytime job. She ends up in the very fancy Warwick Hotel in guest relations, where, I shit you not, she manages to befriend Carrie fucking Grant. Because of course she does, because it's Anna Genovese and she can do whatever the fuck she likes. And she manages to get another stroke of good luck, which is, in 1969, 
Vero dies from a heart attack at the United States Medical Center for Federal Prisoners in Springfield, Missouri. Ba 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 ba. Skip forward to 1982. So Anna is in St. Vincent's Hospital in New York and her end is, it's very close. And she's there with her daughter Marie and from her first husband and her granddaughter Mia. And there, you know, they're there and they want to share their last moments with her. And a very glamorous woman in a pantsuit, kind of like Marlena Dietrich sort of, sort of vibe, she comes in and she sits with Maria and Mia. It's Jackie. Her partner, after all these years, still there. In January 1982, in January 1982, Jackie made sure she was there with the love of her life, Anna Genovese. And Anna passed away, surrounded by the women in her life that she loved. Marie, her daughter, Mia, her granddaughter, and Jackie, her partner. And so ends the story of Anna Genovese, the bisexual mob queen, her history conveniently forgot. So, what have we learned today? We learned that... Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I... I forgot, I forgot a bit. Okay, so, um, appendices. So, so, okay, this is absolutely fantastic. So, according to Anna's grandchildren, when Anna wasn't, you know, too flush with cash, a man came to visit her and she was telling him information regarding, you know, the crime, the crime families, the mafia, the mob. And that man, who was sitting at her kitchen table, taking notes, was Mario Puzzo, the man who wrote The Godfather, the book. It was a book before it was like a trilogy movie. That, it is quite possible that Don Corleone was based on fucking Vito Genovese. Like, but yeah, there you go. Also, in addition, furthermore, there you go, there's some extra bit into it. I completely forgot about that until, like, right now. But also, what have we learned today? That art often imitates life. Uh, we learned that if a man set fires to your hair, you have absolutely every right to try and destroy his life and take all of his money. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, Lorex gowns are perfect for any dramatic entrance. And if it seems like it's a suspicious death, it is quite definitely a suspicious death. We also learned that the mob was heavily involved in the gay scene from like the 1920s on. Like what? Cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you liked my retelling of this story... Um, Please go into Apple Podcasts, go into Spotify, rate and review five stars. Um, If you go into Apple Podcasts, if you write anything in like the review spot, it really, really bumps me up the algorithm and it means more people will see this and it will be, it it just helps me go up the Apple Podcast charts. Um, Like I think I told you all that like I was charting simultaneously in like five countries, like, like the US, Canada, 
Mexico, I think, as well at one point, Germany and like the UK or something like that. But it was it was really, really awesome. I'm so like like wow. Yeah. Uh if you if you want to support me, like please like follow me on Twitter um and Instagram. I know a lot of you have me on TikTok, but if you want, please, please, please follow me on the on Twitter and TikTok. I'd love to like grow this community. Like I just if the pandemic has taught us nothing else, it is that we need connection. And I I wanna connect. Oh, I really do. I am currently working on a website. It's just very slow because I'm one person and I am not technologically gifted. But it it is on its way. It is coming and I'm very excited. And you know what? Actually, yes, it is recommendation time. I am gonna um for reading my first um fiction book in a long time actually I started reading was Crazy Rich Asians I mean the movie is glorious but the book the book is so good so good watching you know what seeing as it's Black History Month in the US I think you should go into Netflix and just watch all the seasons of Dear White People just because you may as well um watch some Jordan Peele really just you know, and you here's also just so you know, you don't have to wait till Black History Month to watch stuff with black people in it. You can watch it any time of the year. I'd actually recommend that in general. Now, for listening, uh, this is going to be a huge surprise for you all, but I'm going to suggest the podcast Mob Queens because it, because it is far more informative and probably funnier than me. Um, yeah, it's it's funnier than me. You should definitely, definitely go um, check that out. And yeah, so why don't you go do that? And I will see you all next time. I'm going to bid you farewell. Adios, au revoir, avoudazem, my friends. Uh, Bye-bye. Keep your mental health muscles strong with the Emotional Badass Podcast. I'm Nikki Eisenhower, your host, psychotherapist, and life coach. The Emotional Badass Podcast is your place to learn the mental health tips and tricks you need to build emotional resilience and practice mindfulness and gratitude. Join me every week for new episodes to reach a more grounded state of well-being as life brings its challenges. Search for Emotional Badass wherever you get your podcasts.